You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. And they can last a lot longer than you expect these periods, but they, they do only come around, like this level of disdain only comes around once, maybe twice a decade if you're lucky. So if you've got the stomach for the volatility, this is what you've been waiting for, right? Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, chatting today with Sam Broom. He is a portfolio manager and investment executive with Sprock Global, originally from New Zealand, and he also has a geological background. It's been a while since Sam's been on the show, but Sam, always appreciate your insights. Thanks for joining me today. Cheers. Thanks for having me, Bill. It's definitely been too long. Yes. Well, you talk to investors on a day-by-day basis. I know that the life of a broker, especially during more uh, emotionally charged times when portfolios are going down and not up, you take more calls. Can you share with us a little bit about the sentiment that you're getting from your clients and how are you counseling them? Yeah, sure. I mean, look, if lost hours sleep is a good sentiment read on where we're at, you know, this is definitely the worst we've seen it in my career. You know, I've been in this, you know, I, I worked as a as a geologist or engineering geologist in the mining sector prior prior to moving to the financial markets when I joined Sprott. Um, and I that was about early 2016. So I've been in the gig now for six or seven years. Um, you know, and I can honestly say this year has been the toughest for me personally. You know, unless you're a complete psychopath, you know, you can't help but feel your, you know, the moves when they're, you know, the, of, of the magnitude as they've been, particularly the last sort of six months as the Fed has really tightened liquidity globally. I mean, it doesn't really matter what asset class you've been in, perhaps with the exception of the US dollar. And even then you've got head inflation, you know, hitting your purchasing power. You know, it's just been a tough year to be in financial markets. So from my point of view, yes, sentiments, Sentiment's probably the lowest I've seen in my career, particularly in the precious metals space, which is now going on two years of a, of a correction that you, you probably have to say has turned into a, at least a micro bear market, you know, this year. Um, you know, there are a few sectors of the commodity space that have held up better than most, particularly energy. Um, but absent that, you know, it doesn't really matter where you've been <laughs> the last six months at least and in the precious metal space the last two years where you haven't taken it on the chin. So, you know, my, my job here at Sprott is to, you know, put the emotions aside and, and make the best investment decisions you possibly can. And, you know, looking on the flip side, uh, you know, there are now some of the best opportunities I've seen in my career too, or at least in the last four or five years, you know, since 2018, things got pretty low as well. I remember feeling feeling it 2018 when everyone started calling for gold to drop below 1100 bucks again. Um, similar kind of conditions, the Fed raising rates um, before they did that about face, you know, rapid pivot of the pivot. Um, so there are similarities to back in 2018, but if you've got your wits about you, you know, you've got to look at the upside and, and there is a lot of opportunity out there at the moment. You mentioned we have to put our emotions aside. Are there any charts or what concrete data are you pointing your clients to to talk about the opportunity you see now? Um, I mean, you know, you can just look at something sim- simple like valuations, right? Um, there are times where quality gold miners, let's say, were trading well above two times Peter Nav multiples, you know, two and a half times Peter Nav multiples. Those same companies today are trading often below one times NAV, you know, which there are companies that I haven't seen 
<laughs> trade below one and a half times nav, right? And now, and here we are, sub one times nav. You know, so obviously those navs uh, move around depending on what commodity prices you get, cost inputs. So it's not a static metric that you can you know rely on to say that they're not going to go any lower you know costs can always go up commodity prices can always go down some people will say the mining equities are pricing in you know margin compression in the future which may well end up being the case but generally speaking in my experience you know these multiples are, are like sentiment indicators and when they get really really low it's usually a good time to buy um, and when the reverse happens, you know, it's, it's often a good time to take some profits. So it's, it's not always as simple as that. You know, there are, there are some nuances, you know, a lot of times at, at the very peak of cycles, you know, mining company multiples actually look the lowest, um, because they're making the most money because the margins have expanded, you know, but perhaps something like the lithium space at the moment could be a good example where margins are, are extreme to the upside. And I'm a little, little bit cautious, but we, we can chat on that later on but in general you know valuations are very cheap um if you look at sort of more technical positioning type data i mean just go and have a look at the something simple like the commitment of traders reports which is real money right that is real market participants and how they are positioned i mean you've got in the gold space you've got commercials near record you know, unshort, you know what I mean? They're, they're, they're usually always by the very nature short, um, but they're long with the, the actual commodity, right? So they, uh, they view the, the current pricing situation as being, um, you know, a, a low gold price. Um, and then you look at the reverse of that, which is the, the, uh, the managed money, you know, the, the more speculative money are net short right now. You know, there's only been a handful of times in the last 15 years where that's been the case. So, there is quite a contrarian setup out there. Um, again, I'm talking particularly about the gold space here. We are a we're a broad commodity focused firm, but we do have a gold. You know, gold is in our DNA. You know, Eric Sprott, who we're named after, is obviously a pretty big name in the gold space. So, you know, that's that's where I look first and foremost. But you you can apply that same positioning standpoint to just about any of the commodities. That, you know, copper, for example, has a very contrarian bullish positioning setup right now as well so do you think economic weakness is a threat to copper though over the next 12 months that's the consensus view right i mean there there are two ways of looking at copper here right i mean you look at visible inventory levels globally and warehouses you know the lme shanghai they're very very low you know then this is not what you usually see when you've just taken a 30 percent bath on the copper price now it's not like we're awash in copper at least in terms of visible supplies. Um, you then look at the projected supply-demand balance, particularly out sort of late next year into 2024, and it starts looking pretty dire. You know, if, if demand even stays flat or even slightly declines, you know, we're staring down the barrel of some pretty, pretty uh, sizable deficits, you know, like it's, it catches my attention, you know, when I look at the stuff, I'm like, man. So there is a risk, obviously, with the Fed doing what it's doing, you know, and global, concerted global central bank tightening into this inflationary environment. I mean, there is a risk that they really, really destroy the demand side, you know, and we get some sort of 2008 or worse moment. You know, I'm not, that's above my pay grade to predict how 
how bad that demand destruction event's going to be. And frankly, I don't think anyone can predict what's going to happen. But if we get anything but an absolute, you know, major recession or even depression, something like copper in the mid to long term looks pretty hard to ignore in terms of the fundamentals right now. What happens in the short term, I don't know. I mean, we could easily go back to two bucks and a correlations going to one event where everything gets destroyed, <laughs> which is kind of what we're seeing at the moment, right? It's, it's, I don't think we're in, it's, a bit, it's been fairly orderly so far, but it's been just about every asset class participating to the downside right now. So I would be a little cautious in the short term, but I'm going to try my best to not be gun shy when, when it, or if and when these bargains kind of show up for us in the copper space, because I am um, very much a mid to long term copper bull. Are those the two commodities, gold and copper, that you're most bullish on right now? You know, I mean, the supply demand side of things looks pretty bloody exciting for most most metals. I mean, we typically focus on the metals space here. It's brought with a bit of energy as well, but you know, even stuff like the agricultural commodities, you know, potash, things like that, I think look really, really exciting in the long term. I mean, the West seems hell-bent on self-punching itself <laughs> in terms of policy on what's going on and, you know, in the potash space and, you know, with, you know, a lot of these fertilizers are very energy intensive in terms of how they're produced and you just have to look at what's going on in Europe right now to look out and think there's going to be a shortage of this stuff. Well, there already is a shortage of this stuff globally, right? Um, so the agricultural commodity space is very appealing to me. The energy space, you know, is very appealing to me, particularly even just your old school hydrocarbon type stuff, you know, like it's it's for so long, it's been a, a dirty space to be involved with, right? The whole ESG movement, you know, which, which I sympathize with and, at a base level, but I I do think we've as a as a global society we've totally misjudged what throw you know this rapid transition away from the hydrocarbon space is going to mean for the average person globally. You know, um, so I do think there is a place for traditional old school energy here. Um, you know, I'm interested in buying weakness in that space as well. Um, the nickel space, I think, is always I've always gravitated towards the nickel story because I do think that remains extremely interesting. And there is particularly on the nickel sulfide side of things, very very few quality projects globally, very very few. Um, so the supply demand dynamics there looks quite interesting. Um, probably be a little bit cautious in the short term. There are some projects coming online that should. You know, provide some some supply in the next couple of years. But again, when it comes to nickel sulfide projects globally, there's just the cupboards are bare. There are only a couple of projects globally that interest me. So I'm I'm probably sounding like a raging bull in the middle of a bear market. But if if you peel away the the current um, sort of structural, you know, liquidity driven despair we're seeing, um, it, as long as you're not a complete um, sky's about to cave in on the global economy. I think uh, you've got to have a look at the mid to long term, and and it looks pretty rosy if you if you can weather this current bout of <laughs> of malaise across global markets. Are there any type of uh, mining investments like Explorco's developers that you're avoiding due to the situation? Like for example, the developers because of the inflationary environment, 
many of them have been sold off to like 0.2 nav kind of to your point or worse worse. and they're not that far from production or even like a horizon what are they at like 0.6 or something like that to where these you know the valuations are pretty low and they have high inflationary costs are are you avoiding those or does that make them attractive you know what the answer is that it depends right I mean, some of my clients um, love risk. You know, they, they'll come to me and they say, look, I'm okay taking a bath if it doesn't work out. This is my risk capital. I want to go after, swing for the fences and try and hit, you know, 10 to 20 baggers knowing, you know, there's, there's a risk of complete loss. You know, this is a small, tiny bucket for me that I want to have some, have some serious speculation with. If that's your mandate, um, you know, those kind of developers are are attractive right now because they've been absolutely thrown out with the bathwater. There's been no interest whatsoever. And, and, you know, I'm looking at companies that we quite like the asset, you know, we think it's a decent asset and they've, they're off 70, 80, sometimes 90% on just 18, 24 months ago. Right. Um, if, if for me personally, I mean, I, you know, I've, I'm at the moment. I'm more gravitated. I'm more interested in the, the. If I'm going to go down the sort of junior route, companies that have funding in place to to get them through the next twelve to eighteen months, and ideally twenty four months, because the thing that can really get you if you get the timing wrong on it, and we we waddle along down in the doldrums here for for a lot longer. Is you know if these companies are forced to raise big slugs of equity, you know eighty ninety percent off their highs, you just it's very hard to come back and get back to where they were with that level of dilution, right? So, you know, these junior equities are almost like call options with time value, right? That decays over time because they have to continually fund to do what they want to do. So for me right now, if you're a quality junior with a quality management team that's that was smart or lucky enough to raise a big slug of capital in the last 12 months and you've got 18 to 24 months worth of work ahead of you where you're not going to need to raise money. That's very interesting to me right here. Now, those companies tend to have not sold off as much because the market sees there's no financing overhang. So they're not going to be quite as cheap or there's not going to be quite as much optionality when things do turn and start ripping. But, you know, I'm, I've am i been in this game long enough to know that timing these turns is very, very hard, if not impossible. So to me, the risk reward at this point favors you know, I'm not going to call it being conservative. There's nothing really conservative about investing in the junior mining space, but on a relative basis, the more conservative approach, investing in well-funded juniors with good projects, good management team, that is very interesting to, to me right now. So when you have, uh, you know, those 80% drops, I've had to uh, unload a couple of 80%, 70, 80% losses in the last two years, because to get back to your initial entry point is a five-fold and if you can offset that for capital gains purposes here in the States, you know, it makes sense to sell oftentimes when you have clients and they're down 80%, what is that conversation? Can you give us some of the general things that you share with a client when they're down 80% on a position? Yeah. I mean, generally I try not to get to the 80% drawdown level, but it does happen, <laughs> you know, in Explorcos in particular, right? Ex- yeah. Especially with Explorcos, yeah. you know, it, it, it comes down to, do we still like the project a lot of the time? Right. I mean, Sometimes the, the best answer is to average into it, you know, particularly if they have, you know, we've had, I've had a couple of instances off the top of my head where they have sorted out the funding 
situation recently and they do have 12 to 18 month runway if it's if it's applicable for the client their risk tolerance what they're trying to achieve in the portfolio you know we might look at averaging down if they've got some gains elsewhere in their portfolio they need a tax loss they're not interested they've been beaten over the head they're over speculating in junior mining stocks which have you know had a tough couple of years you know maybe we we harvest the tax loss and, and look elsewhere you know so it, it all it, it's kind of a i hope it's not a cop-out answer but it is a depends answer i do have clients that come to me and and uh uh you know this doesn't bother them at all this doesn't phase them this is they almost like this because you know you only get you only get really like full-on wiped out sentiment beat up everyone hates it once maybe twice in a decade if you're lucky right um, and they can last a lot longer than you expect these periods, but they, they do only come around like this level of disdain only comes around once, maybe twice a decade, if you're lucky. So if you've got the stomach for the volatility, this is what you've been waiting for, right? As, as long as you've got the patience to take a bit of, take on a bit of scar tissue while you're <laughs> playing the turn. Well, Sam, uh, you follow the Australian markets. How do they com- the Australian mining market, how does it compare to the North American uh, peers right now? You know, for for a long period of time there, the Aussie market was the darling, particularly in the gold space. I mean, they had the Aussie market had six or seven years where it dramatically outperformed its North American counterparts for a whole host of valid reasons. You know, they really nailed it for a while. In the gold space, the last twelve to eighteen months, they have that has flipped. They have fairly dramatically underperformed um, again for another of somewhat legitimate reasons you know there, there were a number of companies that decided that canada was a lot cheaper than well canada and parts of the u.s were a lot cheaper to buy assets than in australia which was true and they came over and picked up canadian assets or, or american assets to date those acquisitions have been slightly to moderately disappointing in terms of the execution now to be fair to these companies COVID happened right in the middle of this acquisition spree so talking to management teams they just weren't able to get on site with with personnel for 18 12 to 18 months later than they anticipated and that does you know that does impact when you're going into an asset trying to change how it's how they mine the culture all that sort of stuff if you can't get people on site it's very very hard to to implement that um so you know the last 12 months i mean the Aussie gold space has been really has been hit harder um than the north americans um i think to the point now where it's actually quite a big opportunity um i think a couple of the quality names there that is particularly on the big producer end um are attractive um i guess the other big difference in aussie right now is they really latched onto the lithium trend much much earlier than the north american space i mean there have been some absolutely spectacular returns out of the lithium space in aussie and i'll i'll freely admit i've mostly missed the lithium trade i mean there are some reasons why i'm a bit coy on lithium longer term um i do think some of the valuations are a little bit obscene at the moment i've had some australian contacts tell me that over the last year that they think it's gone a little crazy (laughs) on the lithium valuations but i mean you look at the lithium price you look at the what the you know some of these couple of these aussie miners are making in terms of cash flow right now and it is a it is insane um to be to be invested from here you have to bet that that continues you know into the future and in my experience whenever you have a sector a commodity sector generating you know 60 70 80 percent 
you know, operating margins, it just doesn't last. You know, supply eventually comes in and you have the, the opposite effect. And the problem for lithium for me has always been there is no shortage of, you know, above ground resource reserves, you know, known, known potential supply. It's just all, all about the capex involved to process it, get it in the get it out of the ground, get it into a usable format. And there are bottlenecks there. You know, there are reasons why lithium is very strong. Same same tailwinds of why I like copper, why I like nickel apply to lithium, obviously, particularly obviously the battery. It's all I mean, it's all the battery trend. But um, but yeah, so in a nutshell, Aussies have nailed lithium. Gold's been a bit weak. Um, but everything else is kind of more or less similar in line with what's going on over here at the moment. I, I will say one thing about one difference between Aussie and Canada in terms of the junior space is we do tend to see a lot more serious actual, you know, green or or um, or even kind of, you know, quality brownfields exploration going on in in Australia or from Australian funded exploration companies. You know, the, what we see a lot in Canada is there's just so many retreads, right? It's like a, you know, there's a factory coming out of Toronto and Vancouver of, of assets that have been through multiple cycles. There's, there's nothing really new to do. You go and poke a director's hole into a non or high grade part of an ore body, put out a news release, hope you're in a hot enough market and get a big re-rate. And it's like a big, you know, it's just like a big game that everyone plays. We do feel like, on average, and there's obviously plenty of exceptions on both both sides, but we do feel like, in general, there's a there's a there's a much more healthy um, culture and mindset out of Australian and Australian backed explorer co teams. Um, so, f- on the pure exploration side, on the junior end, you know, there's there are more things catching our attention in Australia right now. But you got to be on top of it in terms of the time frame, which you do for your clients, right? If you put them in an Australian Explore Co, you're watching that at hours when you could otherwise be with your family. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's I mean, the challenge for us in North America, right? Yeah, I mean I'm always, I'm, my wife will will say I'm always on my bloody phone. And, <laughs> you know, I mean the Aussie market at the moment, the Aussie market opens at 5 p.m. Pacific time. You know, I'm here in San Diego, so you know, and then it closes at 11 p.m. You know, so then I'm up at five in the morning to get in line for us market so it is it is a bit of a you know it is a bit of a drag on that sense but i uh, i enjoy it i love it i do it for a living so it's it's all good and we we tend to back companies you know where we're not going to sell it one bad drill hole right i mean it, it depends if it's an absolute wild ass drill play maybe we would but by and large you know if you if you're buying a discovery play where there's a couple of good holes and you're waiting to see what what happens with it, you, you probably don't necessarily need to be on the sell trigger for from a single news event. Um, or at least with the Aussie names, we have to be a little bit like that. So, Well, Sam, you, you're an investment advisor, portfolio manager. If someone likes uh, the thoughts you shared today, how could they get in contact with you? Uh, yeah, so probably best to just hit me up on my email. Uh, my Sprott email is S, S as in Sam, Broom, B-R-O-O-M, at SprottGlobal.com. Excellent. Well, thank you for your insights and joining me on the show today, Sam. Yeah, a pleasure.
Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10-for-1 returns as there is in small-cap and micro-cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident. And just do your work as best you can. Do your very best. But don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents. But it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.